Hello, my name is Dave Turner and this is the Lunar Poetry Podcast. Today I'm joined by Omar Lazarus. Hello. Omar. Hello, how are you doing, mate? Um, you may remember Omar if you've been uh, avidly listening in the way that you should do to this. <laughs> Omar appeared uh, early on in 2015, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. As partner duo Tory Town Poets, which is now. No more. No more. Yes. In fact, I think, did you split up like the day after we, I interviewed you? To be you? honest, I, I, think, I think the podcast was, was the breaking point. <laughs> no, that was one of the last things we actually did together, though, yeah. <laughs> Systematically breaking poetry. <laughs> We're, uh, I just thought it'd be nice to have Omar back, because he didn't really get a chance to talk as an individual about your poetry. It's quite no. late even with um, how the duo works and stuff. Yeah. Before we get chatting, we'll probably start with a reading, I think. Okay, excellent. Alright, this poem is um, is part of a new collection of poems, which will hopefully I'll be bringing out soon, so you can get some sneak peeks in. This is called The Earth Exhales. You ever get the feeling your life's fell apart? Like, literally fell apart, torn apart at the seams, splitting thread and fabric atwain. The very core of your existence, the rope that rooted you to the earth and kept the black dog at bay has been thrown away. They used to tell me I was falling. That both we and the heavenly bodies are constantly falling through space. I couldn't fathom this as my perception is that I'm rooted to the ground, but recently the theory's grown quite clear to me. I'm falling. We're falling. We grip to this speck of dirt for what it's worth, white knuckle tight, fighting against the vacuum of space and our own mortality. My anchor's been cut. My compass rotates on a point. I'm lost. The spin of our axis threatens to throw me out into the void. I keep holding on, but for how long? I let physics take control. The earth exhales. Great forests breathe. Sunrise, sun fall, and I too fall from the earth's embrace into outer space and the grace of infinity. Thanks, Ben. Just because I didn't do any research, I'd meant to listen to the last conversation we had so we wouldn't revisit stuff but I suppose yeah. they've, we've hopefully the audience has grown a bit and there probably are people who didn't hear that anyway so my waffling on about yeah I don't care that I didn't do any research so we'll go over some stuff if we have to but um, absolutely how how and why did you get into poetry wow um I don't really know when I started writing poetry if I'm honest because for me, I, I got into poetry through music. I, I started out as a, as a teenager in a couple of punk bands and all that kind of stuff. And um, I don't think lead singer was ever... Lead vocalist is probably more accurate than <laughs> saying lead singer. I made noises with my mouth yeah. and, uh, and I was at the front of the band. Um, and so writing for me started off with that. Over time, then that kind of punk stuff we were doing started becoming a bit more of like hip-hoppy sort of stuff. Still that kind of DIY punk ethos and the the idea of having social responsibility through what we were writing, but more of a kind of like an electronic hip hop style using sampling and more kind of rapping on the vocals. And then what happened was when I was writing with Shawnee, um, we were the Tory Town Poets and we were very much like a hip hop sort of collective making hip hop music. Now what happened with that was over time, it never we never turned around and said, let's become poets. What happened was, was the beats stopped and the, and, and the writing continued, the vocals continued and we were finding as we were writing 
increasingly more complex pieces. These were pieces that weren't fitting to beats anymore and it just kind of naturally evolved into poetry. And that's kind of how I fell into, into spoken word, really. I remember I went to my first ever open mic night, which was um, Mr. T. Thompson's night in, uh, in Covent Garden, Lip Tink. And it was the first, I was vaguely aware of spoken word as a thing. There was quite a few viral videos that had been kind of knocking about with spoken word stuff on. But it wasn't until I went to this open mic night and I sat there and I saw people getting up and doing what they do. I was just like, I've come home. This is, this is, this is the scene. This is what I need to be doing. This is kind of what I've already been doing, but didn't realise there was other people doing. It was a bit of an epiphany for me. I might have been the last person in the country to find out about spoken word. Oh no, because it was before me. <laughs> was it really? Yeah, yeah definitely before me. Um, yeah, the beauty of naivety. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Believing in community. Right on. That's good. No, it's, it's still one of the strongest uh, parts of it, I think. Um, actually, yeah, talking about lyrics, because I sort of touched on this a bit with Gary Johnson the other day when yeah. I was interviewing him. Um, and strangely enough, I interviewed you both in Pitsy. Outside Basildon for the first occasion, but um, he was talking about. So he considers himself a lyricist. Yeah. Still, I think I'm right in, in saying that. Um, and he views his poems still as lyrics. Do you? Has your writing style changed much from writing lyrics to now writing poems? Yeah, it's been a very gradual process. Um, when I look at um, the first book, myself and Shani, when we were writing together, what we produced. When I read that now, it very much reads like the hip-hop stuff did, minus the structure of rap kind of lyrics, and minus the beat, but it still very much feels like hip-hop in a sense, but what I was very, very interested in was the delivery, the performance, the rhythm of my voice, and all that kind of stuff. In hindsight now, probably at the detriment of my actual writing, my actual meaning, my actual words, you know? So I feel like I have, I've become more of a poet as the years have gone on. Especially now that I've started writing sometimes for the page. So I can't even necessarily say that I'm 100% a performance poet anymore because now I've started having to think about... Because the thing about I've found about when you make the transition from having to do a performance of music, when you do a performance of music you've got your voice and a beat to hide behind. When you do a performance without music, just spoken word, you've got your voice to hide behind. Then you do poetry for the page and there is absolutely nothing to hide behind. Everything that you write has to be on point. Everything that you write, you have to be able to defend and say why you picked that phrase, that word, that term, what you mean, you know? So it's kind of, I'm finding now, but it's, I've now stripped it right down, it's making me a better writer. Yeah, so you feel like there's more of a, um, there's more of a gap opening up now for you between performance stuff and page yeah. writing. Because I've seen to remember, I don't, as I said, I can't remember exactly what we spoke about last time, and because I sort of, we know each other a bit yeah. now anyway, I can't remember whether it was on the podcast or whether we've spoken uh, just socially. That seems like a change for you. I seem to remember before that there wasn't as much of a division in your mind, perhaps, between yeah. page and stage, but now you feel there. I, f- I feel maybe, yeah. I, my, my writing has changed, I think, though. I think I'm a different poet to the poet that I was a year or two years ago. Um, but I mean, my life's changed an awful lot. I've had a couple of very big upheavals in my life, and I think often your art does reflect your life. And so maybe my 
my writing is kind yeah well this is it maybe this is what it is maybe i'm getting old (laughs) but yeah my art has moved on with my life in some respects so it's very different I mean, I still do, uh, when, I, when I go and perform, especially at open mic poetry nights, I find myself actually performing my older stuff. Because at spoken word nights sometimes, depends, it depends the night you go to. Some spoken word nights, you can't tell the difference between a spoken word night and like a poetry reading. But some spoken word nights, I don't slam myself, but it's very much like the kind of slam poetry scene. So you read the crowd, and sometimes those kind of punkier hip-hop things that are based around the rhythm of my voice and mucking about with word play and rhyme really work for those events. Other events is yeah. more like... I think from talking, because I used to I used to try and avoid talking about any page stage divide because on, on a very basic level there isn't a divide. But of yeah. course there is because people wouldn't be talking about it. So <laughs> I think what's seems to be what's coming up from a lot of writers now is that Perhaps what's important is to acknowledge there's a difference, but to just accept and realise that you can stand on both sides simultaneously. I like to think that I do that. Yeah. I do try yeah. my best to, yeah, because, yeah, saying that I've, I've moved onto the page and I'm doing more stuff for the page now, I still absolutely love performance. And I still think as well that performance for me is one of the most important parts of my practice, especially like. I'm very passionate about bringing art to places that haven't previously been exposed to art, be that towns or audiences that haven't previously been exposed to your particular art form. And they're often the hardest gigs. I mean, I'm the guy that brings poetry to pubs. <laughs> I often find myself performing pub, performing in pubs in Essex alongside a couple of punk bands or a couple of rock bands or something like that. and. I'm that guy who people are out there on a Friday night trying to have a beer after work and I'm the one like saying, who, who wants to listen to some poetry, you know, so I'm very passionate about performance because I'm, I mean I've, I've, I've been heckled, I've had stuff thrown at me, I've been told to F off by audience members and stuff during those kinds of gigs, but you get and one, that's, family party, that's it, yeah, that's it, and the people I bring, but then you get one or two people who maybe have never seen spoken word before and they come up to you at the end of that gig and go, Mate, that was really good. I really enjoyed that. I can, I can see where you're coming from now. And that one, and you think, yes, winning one person yeah. at a time. <laughs> Actually, something that just popped into my head because I've never been in a band yeah. in any position, never mind trying to be a vocalist or a singer or anything. I'm just wondering uh, are there any differences between being a lead vocalist and being a performance part or doing the carrying out the two things because I think it's easy to assume that they would be very similar but yeah I'm not sure just because I haven't done there certainly are similarities yeah. there really there really is similarities but a little bit like how I said with going from on a page you've got nothing to hide behind and in performance you've got a microphone and your voice to hide behind I found as a band I had a beat or before then I had a guitarist a bassist and a drummer to hide behind and I don't mean hiding in the sense that I'm not putting down anyone that, that's in a band and they're singing and everything like that, not, not in the least. Just that um, I would argue for me, I wasn't, I didn't feel as exposed, maybe. I think when, as a, as, a, as a poet, you get up there and all you have is your words and voice, you are completely exposed, you're completely naked, you know? Whereas with a band, there's a, there's a momentum coming from everyone else you're doing it with. I mean, I've done little bits of actually performance poetry as collaboration. 
So myself, another artist from Essex, Cherry Scott, we do a we do a poem together um, called Jack and Jill. And when I've performed that poem live with her, that has felt a little bit like it did when I was in a band. But you've got someone else up there who's got your back, and if you stumble, they'll pick you up, and you kind of you, the momentum's kind of ticking over with each other. So there, there are definitely similarities, but a bit more exposed, a bit more naked, a bit more vulnerable as a poet, I'd say. Yeah, so you've got to, yeah, just the maintaining of energy for a set, I suppose. Yeah, and, and definitely, like, as well, um, when, when I perform in places like pubs and stuff, with music, there is no, there's no reason why you don't talk over a band. Yeah. Someone comes on and plays music in a pub, they're supposed to be there in the background, you're supposed to have to enjoy a pint, have a chat with your mates while the music's going along. And I think as poets who perform very regularly in poetry cafes and poetry nights and stuff, we have been totally spoiled because we believe that everyone's going to listen to us. And we go into a poetry night and you do, somebody starts talking during somebody's poem in a spoken word night, it is the height of rudeness. Yeah. Somebody starts talking over you in a pub when you're doing poetry, it's to be expected. Yeah, we've um, uh, just recently started doing our magazine launches yeah. at a bar in Peckham called Peckham Pelican and they have, uh, it's a really great venue for this kind of thing because have an open door policy, which means you can put events on for free, mm -hmm. but you're not allowed to charge on the door. Right, makes so sense. So you get a mixture of people, they, and so you do get people turning up because they haven't been put off by the idea of there being a poetry night. Yeah. On. So you get groups of people eating pizzas and drinking beer and stuff, and we try to make it clear to them that you know if you're having a conversation, that should they should be allowed to continue with that as long as it's sort of respectful, not shouting at the yeah, answer. Yeah. But yeah, you can see certain poets do. I don't think it puts them off, but it's a, a sudden change. It's, so a, it's not everyone in the room is listening. But what it means is you do end up getting people staying for longer, I think. People are much more inclined to leave if you tell them to shut up. And yeah. They have to listen because then they have to engage. And if they feel intimidated by engaging, then yeah. the likely thing is they'll just turn around and leave. Plus, you can't in the pub tell people to shut up. No. Well, I think it's unhealthy as a performer to... Um, instantly believe and expect everyone to listen to you and give you their divided attention. Why should they? If people aren't listening to you, maybe your performance isn't good enough. Controversial. I come from a teaching background, don't I? And as a teacher, I've had to talk to student teachers that I've trained in the past before, and they said, oh, it was horrible, the children were talking over me. Maybe the children were talking over you because your lesson wasn't very engaging. Yeah. Likewise, in an environment like that, again, hecklers and people shouting at you is something different. But if you haven't got the audience's total undivided attention, maybe one, it's not the right venue for you and you need to be at a bit more of a quieter kind of poetry recital for your art form, or two, maybe your poetry wasn't engaging them and maybe you need to think about, maybe it's something to do with your performance or maybe it's something to do with your writing, what you can do in order to engage them. Absolutely. Um, I want to get on to talking a bit about what you've got coming up and what you've got going on at the moment. Yeah. But before that, we'll have a second reading. I think. Yeah, sure. sure. Right, this one's called Mobile Data. My new tariff is all about mobile data for a mobile data who uses hashtag swipes and likes to drag himself through the day. It's like I need a 4G connection to make a real-life connection, joining the ranks of the ones you once mocked, blocked and deleted for their self-indulgent chattering and smattering of staged, fake selfie shots. But it's like I've got to prove to the world I still exist, although I now miss that which both they and I use to define me. 
But there's a certain catharsis to conversations that don't matter and girls you feel ambivalence towards. It wards away old memories and allows you to indulge in the pointlessness of it all. It's like daytime TV for the unemployed. These actions are distractions from heartbreak, heartache, and in a way, treat the symptoms, if not the cause. I remember my first mobile dating app profile. I stared a while at the final product that was my picture, framed on a screen and perfectly arranged to present me as a human being. But I was a human seeing something that wasn't me. Smart, intellectual and well turned out. Not the lager lout screw up with bad skin that greets me in the mirror. Not the sinner, the emotional wreck, the long list of depression meds and self-medication. The situation called for a mask. Eyes forward, phone held slightly up. Half a smile, wait a while and snap. They used to call this MySpace angles, but this newfangled tech seems an age away from those days. And besides, I never needed or wanted to play those games. I'm a relic from a darker age. I'm less Facebook and more MSN, but this is like post-revolutionary Russia. Blood has been spilt and now I'm on a programme of rapid modernisation. This app is a radio station with my face as a host and on a poster. And I've got to pump out some propaganda as I plan to keep these proletarian brain cells in check. Photos take a minute, but filters last a lifetime, and mine was a work of art. I played with light and dark, focus and contrast, until I could see a better version of me. My mission, a composition that whilst resembled my face, hid the shame, disgrace and fear that lurked behind my eyes. So here stood this guy, this better version of I. I survey him with mixed adoration, hope and disgust, but I trust he'll serve his purpose. Or at worst, I can send him off to die and deny all culpability. He barely resembles me and they're going to need dental records to prove otherwise. Off he goes to find his fortune or expire in the ether, searching for better versions of someone else. On LCD screens, controlled by thumbs, swiping like automatons, our better versions mingle and flirt and talk of nothing at all, while our true selves fall and hope that one day we can get back up. Thanks, man. The reason that I invited on here today was because two weeks ago, perhaps, something like that, you posted a photo on Facebook about a tour coming up, and I haven't looked into it at all since then. So you better explain what it is. Right. Basically, as well as um, as well as being a spoken word artist and a poet, I'm also a teacher, and um, a massive part of my practice as a poet is running poetry workshops and helping develop other writers. Not so much with adults, more with, with teenagers and kids, especially junior age children. So um, part of my work is going to schools and working with schools and running spoken word events, performances. Or I organise um, the Basel and Primary Poetry Slam, which is ironic because I've never actually performed in a slam myself, but I organise one. <laughs> and. Um, that's an event where I get um, between five and six local primary schools together and I train teams of five poets from each school throughout the year and they get to go head to head in a poetry competition in, in, uh, in June. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of like part of the work that I've been doing. But what's ended up happening was I had quite a few public bookings come up. So um, bookings at festivals and other events open to the public where I was going to be running workshops for communities and stuff. 
so I did whatever I do when I get four or five dates in one month, I pretend it's a tour. <laughs> and I advertise it as such. <laughs> Pretty much meaning I'm really busy this week and I'm not gonna make five separate posters. <laughs> so with what I've got is I've got some work coming up with, um, with the Village Green and Village Beach Festivals organized by Metal in, in Southend and in Grays. And I've been booked as an artist to run um, poetry events uh, there. That's going to involve um, working with kids during the day, helping them develop their writing, and at the end getting them to perform on stage. I've also got some work coming up at, that, uh, at those festivals with, um, with Quest Music Services. Now, um, Dorian Quest um, is a bit of a local legend in the kind of Greys area, because he runs for Thames Delta Nights, and um, they've been good enough to have me as like their resident poet. I've had a residency with Thames Delta for about the past six months, mm -hmm. where I perform at their events and I also get other Essex-based poets to come perform at their events and stuff. Now he's putting on some hip-hop workshops at the Village Beach Festival. So um, there's going to be a DJ teaching kids how to create beats and there's going to be me there teaching kids how to write raps and it's going to come together with, at the end of the event, the kids actually going onto one of the big stages in front of the people at the festival and performing their beats and performing their raps to people. Sounds good. I can't believe you didn't contact me about him. Maybe next year, man. I, th I think I'm the funniest person in the world. Sorry, no, no, no. sorry I've yeah. no, no, you're absolutely fine. You're absolutely fine. Um, yeah, basically, that's what it is. Um, if um, if anyone's interested, they want to log on to my, my Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash Lazarus, O L M O L A Z A R U S. Um, my dates are all up there because yeah. hopefully more will be getting added. As, I, as I'm developing these poetry workshops, I'm hoping that um, it's not, this is not going to be a one-off tour, this is going to be a big thing that's going to continue. I'll put a clickable link um, in so people can get to your website. Appreciate that, um, So anyone listening, so just uh, it's easier, I think, than spelling stuff out online, but, <laughs> or on the recording. Yeah. I've just, I was at an event on Tuesday and um, actually, what the event doesn't matter that much. But a guy called Peter Kahn was there, and he was the guy that initiated or started the spoken word educators MA at Goldsmiths University. Yeah, and he's I think he's from Chicago. If he's not from Chicago, most of his work has been done there with the University of Michigan. Yeah. Um, he was talking about the importance of slam poetry to engage with younger people yeah. and get them into spoken word. I was just interested because you said like obviously you don't you don't slam yourself. I hate the form. I really can't stand it. I don't like watching it and I don't like trying to force my writing into that pattern. Yeah. But it does seem like a really really efficient way of getting kids um, actually I don't want to talk about it too much because you've done it, you've got experience, but I'm I'm just wondering, is it because the format of it takes away the fear of like not knowing what to write because there's a because there's an immediate time structure. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I personally don't slam. Yeah. I and I I don't do that because I believe that slam poetry often, not always, but often rewards one type of poetry, and then that kind of automatically makes that kind of poetry seem better than other kinds mm -hmm. of poetry. Um, and that's just to do with the format of it. But the reason why I, I use slam poetry as a way of engaging kids is twofold, really. One, as you say, there's already an established style. They can go off, they can look it up, and they can see it. And, and, it's, um, and the style itself is very 
hip hoppy and very kind of performance orientated and that will engage young people a bit more than you know you go down the Lord Byron route they're not going to be as interested in that they're going to be more interested in seeing someone like Sean Kojak or someone you know I mean? doing some kind of like slam poetry playing around with word plays and, 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 and all that sort of thing so yeah it engages them but also I'm trying to get schools into into poetry now for schools to get into poetry I found it helps an awful lot having the slam as a kind of a central point, something to work towards. I'm not saying, hi, do you want to hire me as a poet to come do some poetry just because it's good and it's lovely? And I think it is good and lovely, but it's quite a hard sell. If I say it's good and it's lovely, but it's also a competition at the end of the year and the local paper is going to be invited and your kids are going to be there in their school uniform, it's going to raise the profile of your school, it's a selling point. Schools love it. Schools love a little bit of competitiveness as well. And actually, this is where I'm, I'm, I find this a little bit paradoxical for myself because one of the reasons why I'm not into slam poetry myself is I don't agree with competitiveness in the sense that this poem was better than that poem or this poet was better than that poet because it's so subjective, it's unreal. However, the schools do love that. And actually, the kids quite like the competitive element of it as well. They go out there representing their school and trying. So many kids at school how often are they going to get a chance to win trophies if they're rubbish at football and they can't run and all that kind of stuff the only real chances they're going to get in school to win trophies are going to be at district sports and those kinds of events whereas now the bookworms can go and they can come back with a trophy for the school how cool is that yeah i suppose it, that's perhaps why the slam thing fits the american model it does seem and i'm sort of making all my judgments on the films that i see because right. i haven't been to school in America so I don't really know but it does seem like they're equally as likely to reward academic work in schools as they are sporting achievements yeah. whereas in this country I think you're right sporting prowess is sort of the only thing that really gets you rewarded and yeah I mean you get your grades and stuff for yeah. academia but you don't tend to get that look at me holding up my trophy in assembly haven't I done really well done kind thing. of thing yeah done a good thing yeah. yeah I was just about to say oh this point came into my memory because I once went to a seminar run by Jacob Samuelorris, but you were there, weren't you? Yes, we were there together. I think that was literally <laughs> yeah. where we met. Was yeah. that in a, that was in yeah, Sheffield somewhere, wasn't it? it was Sheffield, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was Groom up there. And I was up there interviewing Helen Moore and it was a really interesting trip and I had the next day free and Jacob Samuelorris was running a seminar for Apples and Snakes, wasn't it? That's about it, yeah. being a spoken word educator in schools. And I was just coming back to your point about offering something that the schools understand not just what the kids understand because that was a big point of his day wasn't yeah, it? it was, it was marketing yeah. yourself as a as an educator and getting what often are quite cynical and uh you know if you're trying to convince the school to take you in it's hard. Like, unlikely to take risks on you are they well, yeah it's hard because i've got one foot in both camps as as a poet i i sometimes have that kind of desperate frustration of Come on, you doesn't you don't need a reason. Let's create art for the sake of creating art. That is, that's a form of human expression, and children need to understand that. But then, as a teacher, I understand the pressures that they are under. The curriculum time is tight, and they've got people like Ofsted coming in. So Ofsted come in and go, "All oh, right, you've so you've paid out some money to have this poet come and work with your kids for six weeks. Why? Oh, because we thought it'd be lovely. No, you're going to get dragged through the dirt for that. But if they can go, like Jacob Sam Rose was saying." Here's a reason. This is how 
and it's up to the poet to kind of research this and find this out. This is how this is going to tie in with your English curriculum, how it's going to tie in with your citizen. We're going to tick off these objectives. And I know it's horrible and cynical to have to think like that, but unfortunately we do live in a world where we sometimes have to think like that, and, and that way we can kind of offer something to the school that they're more likely to take. Um, how easy was it to convince schools I think about the primary school slang, was it, it was around Basel, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Basel Primary Poetry yeah. Slang, yeah. Uh, how easy was that to convince schools to get involved with? Um, I started small. So last year, I needed it with um, three local schools. Now, one of the school that I'm hired by for, for most of my work, one of them uh, is in an academy with this school. So we were in a partnership with one school. The other school was a school I went to as a kid. So I totally started off with people who I knew. Yeah. But after we had that one event, and then the local papers came and they made a big deal about it, I was going to be able to promote it on Facebook and things like that. It's been much easier this year because I've been able to turn around to schools and not say, hi, do you want to get involved in this thing that might be a thing that I'm thinking about doing? I'm saying, hey, do you want to come and get involved with something that's quite well established now and was a massive success last year? So we jumped from having three schools to having six schools involved in this one. Um, and already there's two or three more schools that are interested I don't know how big it's going to get. I don't know how big it can get. I mean, it's actually a little bit more worried. <laughs> if it yeah, gets yeah. too much bigger, I'm not sure how manageable it'll be. But Actually, I'm still quite intrigued with the, the, the primary school slang. If you, could you just run through the structure of how... Like how the actual yeah. competition works? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it tends to start off with um, me introducing um, the, the poetry slam, kind of thank everyone for coming, all that sort of stuff. And then we kick off with normally me doing one of my children's poetry performances not the depressing shit you've been hearing today the kind of the stuff the dragons yeah the yeah, stuff yeah, the dragons yeah, yeah. yeah that kind of stuff yeah <laughs> um, yeah I, I do I do my kind of like poems about dragons and trolls and werewolves and a whole manner of other grown up things um, and yeah so I'll, I'll perform kind of like a fun poem like that to kind of warm everybody up and then what we do is we work through all the children who perform in a random order um, and I have a panel of three judges so this year I had um a local artist, um, a trustee of a local arts charity, and I also had a children's author. So three people from the community who are in some way involved in writing books or education. I have I have those invited. Um, and as the as the uh, as the children perform, the judges uh, make their notes and make their scores. Now the scoring system I've developed is. Um, a maximum of 30 points per poem. So it's not like normal sounds, it's kind of like a, a made up one that I've done. Maximum 30 points per poem. Now 10 points are available for the quality of writing. And all children's poems are submitted in book form first. So they can be read by the judges and all that kind of stuff. Because I think that's important that, you know, a kid who might be totally shy and struggle with performance may well have written a beautiful poem. They deserve to get some points for that. The next 10 points are for performance. So again, the child who might be the world's strongest writer but my God, they've overcome some fears and they've, they've performed, they've really, like, they've really put themselves out there. There's 10 points available for that. And the next 10 points is something that we really promote in the Basel and Primary Poetry Slam. 10 points are like bonus points available for children's self-expression. One of the things I'm very, very interested in promoting is children being able to develop opinions and ideas of their own and to express their own opinions and ideas. Uh, I, I think far too often we tell children what's right, what's wrong, what's this, what's that. And actually, I think in my practice as a teacher, I try to develop an ethos in my classrooms where children can question things and children can 
bring up ideas and discussions. And so we that's something we try to foster through this is um, how much has the child used their own voice. So for example, we had a couple of kids do some really, they must have been studying in a school or something, really beautiful um, pieces about deforestation in the rainforest. And then one child was absolutely brilliant. He got a lot of points in self-expression because he had written a poem about his dad driving and about how much he thought his dad's driving was really dangerous and crazy. And it was brilliant. The poem was called Speed Demon. Uh, what is it? He, dri- he goes, he drives so fast, he drives back to the future, he needs a driving tutor and all this kind of stuff. And to see him perform that and see his dad go bright red and cracking up in the audience was brilliant. So we have those those thirty points available for each poem, and at the end we'll have uh, some some singers or something perform while the judges deliberate, and then we go on to actually giving out the awards. Now every single kid that takes part gets an award. They'll get they certificates last year. This year I printed all their poems into a book. So I wanted everyone to go away with a winner, um, but then we have a runner-up trophy and a winner's trophy. But something I made a point of was. Um, after the runner-up and the winner took their bow, I invited every performer, there was about 30 of them this year, every performer onto the stage to do a massive bow together and I did a bit of a speech about it. That sounds quite a nice way of scoring in that there are ways of rewarding different elements of the whole project because obviously the slam doesn't begin and end with the slam itself, there's the workshop. You know, it's a whole year, really that slam's a year long yeah, project yeah. and that's just the end of it. Yeah. yeah. No, so it's good, I suppose it's important that the scoring reflects the whole project. We're going to have a final reading and then we'll just recap on some details. This one was a bit of a challenge I set myself. um, I'm I'm writing a bit of a book at the moment and um, this one was uh, a poem that I was going to write um, throughout an entire night. Um, And it was a night, so it starts off with when I was getting ready, but um, I went out drinking and as my night unfolds, every 10-15 minutes or so I was adding a line to my poem so it kind of evolved with that night out so it's a, it's a little bit of an experiment really it's called um, Valuable XP I'm new upcycled shabby chic like a worn out house with a new lick of paint like my worn out house I need to repaint haircut, shave, shiny boots and a dry clean suit and I'm a new man This home's a chrysalis and I'm about done cooking. It's time to spread my wings and grab a beer. What do I expect? A change of dress and a new pair of jeans to propel me to full confidence. Tuffy says that life's gonna be like an RPG, Dungeons and Dragons or Warcraft 3, and I've gotta level up the stats that matter to me, and that takes time. I'm not a wizard or a paladin and slaying dragons ain't my thing, but a night out on the town? That's valuable XP. Plus one stamina for getting out of bed. Plus two pride for wearing shoes instead of trainers. Like a personal trainer training myself back to health for night out on the town, sounds like a workout indeed. It's exactly what I need. In Billericay, where bankers go to die, the only black guys in the whole town are behind the decks and the rest are white middle-class, middle-aged housewives who'd eat me alive. A Neanderthal husbands clad in Fred Perry, a scary sight with I turning 25 and these guys dressed like 1960s spies, I spy a bloke in a turtleneck. No joke, no irony, 
It seems to me I'm in the wrong scene. Divorcee may tick a box, but if it's daytime wearing Crocs and nighttimes in three-piece suits dancing to shitty tunes in rooms full of roll-necked wankers throwing money across the bars to earn a pombat arm, mahogany beach blonde blades, I'd rather save my cash and sanity. Spend some time with me. Gain some real XP. And avoid slipping away into the cliche, born-again prick. Thank you very much. Yeah, we definitely have to wrap up here because of the time. But if you just remind everyone quickly as to where they can reach you online and check out things. No, well, I've I've got um, the best place to come find me online is Facebook. It's where I'm most active, and that's um, facebook.com forward slash Omar Lazarus. And you said just stick that for that. Yeah. And it, I'll give you my Twitter and all that bits and bobs so we can stick on there and all. Excellent. That's cool. Um, thanks very much. No, thank um, you for having me as always. Cheers. Along. Um, clear off. Ha, 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 ha.